All right, welcome. We are covering social media and the law. This is not even something you even had to think about. Do you have the right to do whatever you want? There's potential biases. You have influencers, endorsements. Who owns what? Kickstarter, GoFundMe, and you know stuff like that. Sound Smart Business, where your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Stomp, cover business in the news and add their awesome legal twist. Legally Sound Smart Business is a podcast brought to you by Pasha Law PC, a law firm representing your business in California, Illinois, New York, and Texas. Here are your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Stobb. All right, welcome. We are covering social media and the law pretty much a A to Z or Facebook to Twitter, as I like to call it, of law and social media. How you doing, Matt? Yeah, doing well. This, you know, that's the interesting about interesting thing about this topic is I, mean, I, I guess it's still relatively new, but it's, you know, if you had a business a few decades ago, this is not even something you even had to think about, at least in the, this sort of context. So it's always evolving because social media is always evolving. Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of considerations for for business owners with this. And it keeps changing. Uh, so much so that we actually did an episode similar, not quite the same, uh, on social media and the law about four or five, it was at 2017. So that's about, um, if you take 2021 and minus 2017, that's how many years ago it was. <laughs> yeah, it'd be interesting to, like you said, I mean, even four years ago, it's, uh, I'm sure some of the things we talked about are, are vastly different than, than what we are going to talk about today. New laws, new rules. Um, you know, it's, it's something that people have to stay on top on pretty heavily. Right. I, I mean, even four years ago, social media has, um, from a legal perspective, I'm not sure how much it changed, but the way we use it keeps adapting. I think I'm trying to think in social media what's been really different here. We have, I don't think TikTok existed four years ago or it barely existed, mm. right? Um, what other mediums? There's also mediums that are no longer existing. Remember, wasn't there that uh, on on that's you can have those seven second videos? What was that Vine? Um, Vine. Yeah, that, right? that's gone. Yeah, I think it's Vine. Yeah, um, I think Twitter. Did Twitter buy them out or something? And then I'm not sure. I, I thought they closed down, but maybe. I, yeah, I so think it, it was, goes back and forth. I, I think it was probably if I had if I can remember correctly. I think Facebook was more popular. If things like Instagram probably less popular. I think I, I, I'm sure there's still a, a lot of Facebook users, but my my guess is the popularity of those two flipped a little bit. At least for depends on the demographic too, but that's, that's kind of right. the general observation I've had. Right, and it was also we also went through the Trump administration, which of course, when it came to social media, there's been uh, quite a bit of activity with our president uh, tweeting almost every single day, multiple times, and so that uh, obviously was a big kind of cultural shift, I think. Um, the mainstreaming of, of of social media. I mean, when I have, you know, my parents getting on Facebook and and Twitter and things like that, then you know, we've gone to a new level. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't even think about it from that context. Obviously, that was a big, uh, big thing at the time, and you know, since then he was kicked off for a period of time. Is he back on? I haven't paid attention. I don't. I, I think he's still it. off. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I don't know about every platform, but uh, I, I'm pretty sure on Twitter and fa- Facebook, he's still off. And so that's that's something that I think. Uh, I mean, I don't know how we can not talk about the kind of cancel culture of social media that I think there's a lot of complaints about. To the extent that you know, even even in the COVID era here, if you communicate, oh, I'm guess I guess I'm getting right into the, our first topic. Which is, you know, this is like when you're communicating on social media on these private platforms, uh, do you have the right to do whatever you want, uh, freedom of speech and these kinds of things? And I think we've found out these are private companies and they can really govern how they wish. And even with legal challenges, they've they've been able to withstand that uh, that scrutiny. Yeah, you, you, I mean, there's definitely been a fair share of. Uh, People that have gone on some sort of social media platform, voice their opinion on something, um, and then ultimately end up getting fired because the the company just doesn't, I guess, agree with their stance necessarily, or maybe more of the backlash, and they feel like it's going to reflect poorly on the company. Um, you know, that's happened a bunch uh, with certain celebrities, um, endorsements, and things of that nature too. I've seen them get dropped. Uh, the, the one that comes to mind. Just because it was very recent, was the um, well? Oh yeah, you you actually follow soccer, so you might you might know this one. Uh, the Megan Rapinoe, um, the she oh, was no, in the in these the soccer player for the U.S. the women's team. Oh yeah, of course. Uh-huh. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, she was she was one of a few uh, athletes in the Subway commercials with Steph Curry, Tom Brady, and somebody else. I think Serena Williams. I'm trying to remember, but. Um, Subway did not feel that her voice and her actions were um, aligned. Why? With the, well, she, it was it was mostly the, um, the the kneeling during the national anthem and kind of the, oh, back, okay. the backlash that they were kind of getting on that. But that's just one example. There's been, like I said, particularly for celebrities, there's been countless examples of them saying or doing something, even if it's something they're entitled to do or allowed to do legally, but it's you know, that's it's the brand that companies care a lot about, right? And in a lot of endorsements, which of course we're going to talk about today, when social media and sponsors and so forth, they they often have a uh, a morals clause, right? Like if you mm-hmm. get arrested, if you get these kinds of things, and even if they if you do something or take a stance that they they don't agree with, they can they can terminate that, and and of course that's in in whether a social media contents or not, but I think. A big theme, I think, in this episode is that social media is still real life. I think because people are on the internet or on a computer, people think, okay, all the rules are different. And okay, there may be some changes or different perspectives, but in reality, it's just applying existing law to the same. And so if you so, for example, we're gonna let's talk about employment issues, right? What you can restrict or access with your employees is the same whether it's through social media or not. You cannot prohibit your employees from doing certain things outside the office, just like you can't prohibit your employees from doing certain things on social media. And the opposite is true. You can fire somebody for their behavior outside the office to a certain extent, 
um, and whether that behavior is online or offline. Uh, and so that that's probably going to be our our approach which, uh, with each of these issues. Yeah, I think that's a good way to summarize it. It's it's just a it's life in a different in a different medium, um, but the same rules generally apply. It's you know you can we've said this so many times, but you know you can terminate an employee for anything that's not illegal, which is mostly just non discriminatory. Right. Um, so you know, obviously, I, I, when I say that to clients, I think people hate when I say that because they're like, okay, yeah, so where's Where's the real advice? No, but I'll, you know, obviously we say it to make a point. Yeah, well, that's the general attorney answer of you know, as long as as long as it's <laughs> legal, then it's fine. I think that's the the right. reason there's people sometimes don't always like that answer, but that's the truth. And it, like you said, it's the same for social media too. Um, you know, as long as the if if an employer is going to terminate an employee for something they did on social media, as long as it's uh, not for discriminatory reasons, for the most part. Um, or I should say, mostly non-discriminatory. There's other areas that apply as well. Then you know, it's it's typically going to be fine from a legal perspective, right? So let's talk about the different phases um, of an employee in your workforce to kind of outline these social media. Uh, policy or these the social media issues. So for example, when you're hiring an employee, I don't think it's uh, abnormal these days to at least Google or do some basic search on an employee um, that you're considering hiring. And I think um, for the most part, even employees understand that to the extent that they, uh, they everyone's very cognizant about the privacy settings and, and what's exposed to the public. But what if uh, there, there's these companies that actually you can hire to do a much more thorough kind of social media search? And I'll tell you, I've seen some of these reports. They can be pretty um, extensive, and um, and people don't realize that when you're doing something like that, it's a, it's equivalent to actually getting a credit report of your potential hire. And if anyone who's done that before, you actually have to get a disclosure, a uh, proper disclosure to your employees for doing that. And the loss considers the same. If you're if you're hiring some kind of outside vendor to do a social media search, you actually need to do that disclosure to to your employee or to the potential hire. Yeah, and you're exactly right. And I think one area, just going back to what we were talking about earlier of our episode four years ago, I think one area where Things have changed as people have gotten a lot more savvy with what they right. what they publicly disclose on their social media as well. Like you said, you can have privacy settings, um, but yeah, that should be. I would think that any company would at least do a Google Google search of the individual and, and see what pops up. Uh, you know, just again, it's there are laws in place, and you you can't be discriminatory if you find you know. Based on someone, you know what you find on somebody, but that's that should be, I think that's kind of a baseline thing that uh, a lot of employers do now, just to kind of the first vetting process, right? And 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 but what's interesting, and you and you, you you mention it is that let's say that you are a big business, you're hiring a bunch of employees, and part of your process is to review their social media accounts or what you know what their online profile is. What is it that you're going to discover on there? That you're going to then eliminate them as a potential candidate. 
And that criteria, it's pretty difficult to not accidentally fall into a protected class, right? Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, anything from, I mean, this, a, a lot of this stuff is all private behavior, you know, whether they have a family or not, whether they've, um, uh, what, you know, uh, when you submit a resume, often it doesn't come with a photo. But if you Google somebody, you'll be able to see who they look like, whether it's a man or a woman of a certain race, of a certain age. And that may not be apparent just from a resume. And all of a sudden, you're getting all this more information. It's like, how do you not fall into this trap of being discriminatory towards that? Which is, by the way, one reason why um, I think a lot of HR professionals, they they leave this step to the one of the later steps because it's like, okay, you've already made the decision. Let's just make sure that there's nothing... This person's not crazy, for example, basically. Yeah, I'm trying. I mean, I would think uh, there's potential biases. I, I would think the the one that would pop up that would affect the decision making process that would be illegal would be if you happen to find uh, a female's uh, profile and she's posting photos of of being pregnant. Um, you know, that's all right. Yeah, because yeah. businesses don't always want to hire. Uh, people that are pregnant because they're going to work for a few months and then take some time off. So, you know, I think that's probably one of the bigger ones is my guess. But, you know, again, it's, people are a lot more savvy now. So I, I don't think there's just open profiles. But yeah, like you said, it's, you know, LinkedIn, for example, um, you know, the, the person's photo will probably be on there. So there are going to be protected right. classes just solely based on photos that you could see. Um, so it's, you have to kind of tread that water lightly and make sure you're, you're not doing things that are going to come back to bite you down the road. So let's say you've hired the employee. Um, now you have to deal with social media in the context of what they're doing uh, while they're employed with you. There's one, there's one issue I want to bring up that I feel like we have to bring it up, but it's just so silly and crazy to me, but this happens. So a big kind of, kind of controversial legal issue came up about I want to say it's been about 10 years or less now where employers were asking employees to give them their username and passwords of their social media accounts. And I don't know, I mean, even today thinking about that of employers actually doing that and the reasons why I wouldn't really understand it, but this was so much of an issue that there's probably at least a dozen states, um, if not more, that has specific laws that prohibit employers from doing this. Uh, I, I don't know why they would. Do, do you know why they would want that access? I don't know. No, that's it's it's wild to me as well. It's uh, <laughs> you know obviously what you, you know you need to be you know you need to be professional at work and you know what you do outside of work is your own thing to a certain limit. But there's no there's I can't see the need for employers to need to lock into employees' uh, social media accounts and, and access and view any messages. Like it just It's way over the top, and I, it's still baffling that states need, even need to make laws to, to prevent that. Right. Which, by the way, Texas is not one of them. Uh, California is. But I, I, I'm reluctant to even go through the states that don't have this law, because just because there's not a specific law that says your employer can't do this, doesn't mean that by doing so, you may be falling into some other legal trap as well, especially if the employee refuses to do so, and then you retaliate against that, that person for doing so. Right.
And that's why you'll see some people, I know people that have two, for example, two uh, Facebook accounts. One is their, their work oh, okay. account and one is their uh, non-work account, I guess I should say, you know, it's, I, I, I maybe that's where they for, go wild. Yeah. Maybe it's for this, maybe it's for this reason. I don't know, but it's, uh, yeah, it's to me, that's just way over the top. Just doesn't seem necessary. I, I have one for every mood I'm in. I have a funny one. <laughs> I have one where I'm really like, I'm just like a uh, really mean person on like a troll on the internet. So that's personal, but yeah, I, I would never share that with anyone. Um, at least the username and password. And I would never ask an employee to do so. It just seems, seems crazy. But I think there is some there there is some connection with what your employees are doing online in social media and the workforce. There is there is some carryover, and I think it's different be between each business. And so that's why, like when social media came about, uh, I remember HR companies and advisors and consultants and lawyers and law firms were publishing all these different. Uh, advice on social media policies. Mm -hmm. And these policies would be a paragraph or two long. They would be two pages long. They'd be, you know, it'd be a whole packet. Uh, and since then there's been quite a bit of, uh, you know, both laws and disputes that have kind of come out to give us some good guidance on how to actually do these policies. Yeah, it's it's definitely something. Any not any, but most employee handbooks nowadays will have some sort of social media policy in there. And like you said, it could be. I think the you know as time goes on, they're getting lengthier and and more specific, um, just because they can see what's do what's allowed and what's not. But um, yeah, I mean any any medium, large company is going to have some sort of social media policy that employees need to follow. And, and for the most part, it's going to be fine. I mean, again, not, not to go back to what I was saying earlier, you know, as long as you as long as you're not preventing them from, uh, exercising their freedom of speech or any sort of protected activity, you know, it's, it's generally going to be fine and acceptable. Right. And I think that's the key, key phrase is protected activity. Um, because, if someone just just like any other um, context, if your employee does something that you don't like, and so long as that thing that you don't like is not a protected activity, you can terminate them. Uh, it, you know it, this this whole concept of a uh, that you have to have cause to terminate that is that's not how the law law works, right? And and so similarly in social media, if you have these policies. Where people, where companies actually do get into trouble, and this is this is easy to fall into, which is making these policies too general. The idea is, and the the National Labor Board has really has a lot of guidance on this. But basically, if your policies are too broad, that employees may feel basically kind of frozen out to even think about not not think about frozen out to even start talking about certain things that are unprotected activity, then your policy is too restrictive. And what the National Labor Board is wanting to see, and courts in general, is to be a lot more specific and narrow on how you do things. So like, for example, it, you know, some general uh, broad language that, for example, Chipotle had something like this. 
if you aren't careful and don't use your head, your online activity can also damage Chipotle or spread incomplete, confidential, or inaccurate information. You may not make disparaging, false, misleading, harassing, discriminatory statements about or related to Chipotle are employees, suppliers, customers, competition, or investors. Okay, it sounds great. I mean, I you know th this is not something that wouldn't come out of our mouths in in in, uh, in writing a policy, but the National Labor Board considered this way too broad, and what they thought was it could uh, employees would be reluctant to even start talking about certain things that are considered protected act activity. Uh, basically, if employees want to share information about how Chipotle is treating them poorly, I'm not saying that that's the case, but if, if they felt that way, they would need to be able to share that freely. And this broad language seems to prohibit that, and therefore it's invalid or not enforceable. Yeah, and, and I agree with you. You know, just kind of on its face, reading it, I, you know, it's general. We don't necessarily disagree with the general message, but it only becomes a problem if there's some sort of disciplinary action or you know some termination, and they can bring it back to you know what these what the employee posted on social media, and then like you said, if it's too general, um, that's when it becomes a problem. So it's like you said, in theory, something like this, you know, not it doesn't seem too bad, but it, it can come back to bite you if it's, uh, if you, like you said, if it's not narrowly tailored. Right. And so, yeah, so you, you, there's, there's ways, I mean, I can, we can go into some details on how to make it enforceable, but you know, you have to narrow the definition of confidential information. You have to, you, you can prohibit certain very clear things like discriminatory or harassing content or, or uh, harassing conduct. And things of that nature, and and look, if they violate that policy that you outline, you can terminate them. Um, and it's it's pretty well established. I mean, there was one case where, you know, a a person worked for a dealership, just posted an image of a photo of a car for another dealership, but it was a sister, same kind of uh, same uh, manufacturer. Uh, of a car that broke down, and they were kind of just making fun of the issue. Uh, and based upon that post, that employee was terminated. And it was against the company policy to do what they were doing, and the courts upheld it. So it's it's definitely not something outside the realm of, of involvement of your employer. You just got to kind of figure out that fine line. I, I'm trying to remember if we... I'm, I know we talked about this at some point on the podcast. I'm pretty sure. I don't remember if it was the episode we referenced or not. But you remember the the one, and this is this was fine. The one employee who uh, basically took uh, time off of work. I think they said they were sick, and then they had photos of them that surfaced. They were just out all day. You know, I, I forget exactly what right. they were doing, but it's like it's like okay, well, that's just clear malfeasance and it's you know examples like that those are going to be those are going to be fine but like like you said it's the you know yeah you do have to be careful um in drafting these policies and and then any sort of action as a result um but if there in fact um is this reminds me of another topic but it kind of connects with what you just said everything that is in social media whether it's private or public so I'm talking about a public tweet versus a Facebook message or even a WhatsApp message or your Slack channel. 
these are things that are actually uh, discoverable, you know, subject to certain rules and so forth. But um, to your point, there was another case where an employee was, uh, they claimed that they were had a on-the-job uh, accident, an injury, and so they filed a workers' comp- compensation claim. And through discovery, through their Facebook, I think it was something that wasn't available to the public, uh, they were able to determine that he actually uh, received his injuries through a motorcycle accident. Because of course, it's like you get into some kind of accident, you, people are going to post that on social media, and of course, losing that case based upon that. And so, <laughs> there are some uh, unintended consequences of employees who who post this. But I think everything, um, in fact, from a litigation perspective, this whole electronic discovery aspect of things has really changed the game. I mean, can you imagine before where, like Slack is a good example, right? Uh, for those that don't know, a lot of a lot of modern companies use Slack to communicate. Um, they use WhatsApp to communicate. Imagine prior when colleagues would speak to each other, especially now that they're remote even more so, you know, it, nothing would be in writing. It would be over the phone, maybe emails, right? But when it comes to live chat and back and forth, that's all recorded. And so now all of a sudden, imagine all that being discoverable. It, it's a huge game changer when it comes to business litigation. And of course, there's ways to mitigate around that issue as well. Yeah, that's, I mean, not to, I don't think we're veering too far off topic, but that's been, that's been critical in a lot of the sexual harassment cases that have been filed in the last handful of years, um, access to those electronic records. Cause that's usually where a lot of it seems to, not a lot, but enough of it seems to lie nowadays. Right. I mean, cause you know how I mean, people are not, um, especially when it comes to live chat, uh, in writing, it's, uh, People are not as filtered versus an email, right? All right, let's let's go on to I think uh, where a lot of people talk about endorse. Uh, sorry, where a lot of people talk about social media and the law is endorsements. You know these things where you have influencers, and of course, um, you know Matt, you and I have to really know this stuff really well. Besides the fact that. We represent influencers. We're quite our, quite a. We have quite a following ourselves, don't we? Yeah, I mean, I I get I do at least three posts personally a week for for items that for goods that I uh, am promoting. So I, I know what it's like. <laughs> <laughs> well, I uh, and and of course I'm talking about my family. I share a bunch of f- pictures, and they always are accusing me for you know sharing things that are actually sponsored um, that I got for free. And because if I did get something for free and I was endorsing it or posting a photo about it, the FTC wants me to actually put a hashtag on there or some kind of clear and conspicuous notice um, that it's actually a sponsored ad. And, um, and it's weird how much that doesn't happen, right? <laughs> that so, you see most people don't follow that. Right. And, you know, it's it's a relatively new requirement a few years ago. I can't remember exactly when, but you're right. It's even with the laws, you'd, you'd be surprised how often people just don't follow them. And it is a requirement by the FTC. There's specific, they give specific examples of, you know, what you need to put in there. But I mean, even some of the biggest names, I think nowadays they're probably 
in line, but even some of the biggest celebrities wouldn't even follow the law on this stuff. And it was just kind of right. crazy. It's almost like they just ignored it or just didn't care, or I guess possibly weren't aware of it. But, um, but yeah, there, there are requirements, even if you get a product for free, you still have to, um, disclose that, you know, basically it was a sponsor or an ad or something to that effect. Yeah. And that's a common, common tactic, or I don't want to call it a tactic, a marketing technique is, you know, you send, um, an influencer, uh, a product, you don't even tell them, Hey, uh, you know, leave a positive review or a positive endorsement. Hey, just tell me, can you tell your, uh, audience what you think about this product or service and in exchange for a discount or, or any kind of consideration. Mm -hmm. And the FTC is very clear. In fact, like five years ago, I think it was like five years ago that they, they, they called this like a dot com. They called it like the dot com manual or something like that. It was this whole list of things of recommendations and so forth. And, and they've updated it quite a bit. And they even announced like, Hey, we're going to crack down on this. And to be honest, like I, they have a little bit with egregious cases, cases, but not much. Um, and the problem is, is that I think the trend on influencer marketing is not, Hey, let's hire Kim Kardashian to sponsor a product. You know, when that sponsorship may cost, I don't know, this a million dollars, I'd rather give a million dollars and spread it out over to, you know, a thousand different, uh, influencers. And that impact may be even better, mm -hmm. right? Uh, because it has that more viral effect. And so when, uh, a Kim Kardashian and their agency and her agency, they're going to put ad on it, right. Or sponsored a influencer that has, you know, a hundred thousand followers may or may not. And is the FTC going to go after them? And, or are they going to go after the sponsor? Because really it's, you know, when we write these agreements, when it comes to the influencers, it's usually when we're representing the company, I should say, uh, the, it's up to the influencer themselves to post this, um, to post this uh, kind of clear and conspicuous uh, notice. Right. right. Yeah. There's, that's it's particularly, you know, as again, as it's kind of evolved over time, starts, you start seeing more and more of those, that language in the actual contracts for the influencers is, you know, you're going to buy, abide by all FTC guidelines, regulations, et cetera. Right. And, you know, shifting that then, because like you said, it's, it's the influence responsibility to do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you're right to the, I think the term is, um, micro influencers and I don't know what the, yeah, micro influencers. I don't know what the threshold is to to be considered that, but yeah, it's, um, you know, you, you'll see a lot. I think, I think you would be considered a micro influencer and yeah. I would be considered a macro influencer. Macro influencer. I understand. <laughs> yes. Is that, is that, I, I don't know what that's a term, but I, it sounds like a shake. You just, you just coined a new phrase. So it's interesting because like, I feel like the, the reasons for these rules, I, this may be obvious, but I'm just going to state it. Right. The reason for these rules is that people don't realize that it's misleading that people are giving an endorsement and they don't people, if you don't know they're getting paid for it, then it's misleading, right? It's like, wait a minute, like you're biased. Right. And so that's why, even if you're an employee and promoting products and services and you're not disclosing that, that might be an issue to the FTC. But I mean, people are getting more and more sophisticated that I think people get it right. It's like, it, we we all know people um, that are promoting certain makeups that they've uh, that they've been given for free or product. I mean, I feel like makeup for some reason is is common or different fitness um, products and services and things like that. And and 
the FTC seems to be a little too strict in this. I mean, literally their recommendation, can you imagine this? Their recommendation is that in a tweet of 140 characters, which I know it's expanded now, but in, in, in their mind when it was 140, they recommended that you put the words add, A-D colon, in the beginning of the tweet. And it's like, <laughs> it almost defeats the purpose. I mean, when, when you watch a commercial, it doesn't say, hey, this is a commercial. Um, and then, then followed by the commercial, everyone understands that it's commercial. In the same way, the trend is such that everyone understands that, hey, look, if you, if you are an influencer of any kind of um, uh, following and you're promoting a product in any way, even casually, even secondarily, you're probably getting paid for it. In fact, I've seen more often influencers say that, hey, I actually genuinely like this product. I didn't get paid for this, right? The, the yeah. disclosure is the opposite. Yeah, no, that's um, you, you. You definitely have seen some more of that recently in the last few years, because um, that's just what they have to do now. I mean, it's. But just to reiterate what you were saying, it's you know just because the person's not getting paid for it doesn't mean they need to disclose. Doesn't mean they don't have to disclose it. Because I've seen plenty of instances of companies just sending you know free items to. Um, to these individuals, and they think they can just oh, this is great! I got something free. I can just post it, but it still still falls under those guidelines, right? So one thing that people ask us a lot about when it comes to social media is who owns what. Copyright intellectual property questions seem to be pretty common, uh, in particular. One of the things that came up really early in social media, when, when it became very clear that your actual followers and who those are become, it's an asset, right? It's like, as we talked about endorsements, if you have a million followers, that, is, and, and, and especially if they're engaging, you are an influencer that can make money off of those followers. There's, there's no doubt. And so the question becomes, who owns those accounts and who owns those followers? Now, if you're an individual, that's probably more clear. But what if you what if you're an employee, and you create a Facebook page for your employer, right? Everything's in your name and so forth. And I remember having to deal with this very early in social media because when an employee leaves, especially if they were disgruntled or so forth, a lot of these companies, social media companies, didn't have the right. Um, or they didn't have the policies that made sense that would allow the employer to then take over that account. And that employee would often hold it hostage. It's a lot, it's a lot better than it used to be. But right. I remember we, we had this issue where a Facebook uh, page was kind of hijacked by an employee. And to get Facebook, to even be able to talk to anybody or submit a support ticket or whatever at that time was impossible. And it was eventually we fixed it, but you know, it's a lot different now. There's an actual process and procedure that Facebook and other um, uh, websites have, have created. Yeah. I mean, talk, talk about one area that's definitely gotten better, exactly what you said of just, just working with, with these different, uh, different companies just to resolve an issue like you just talked about. I mean, it's still not great overall, but it's, it's definitely gotten better over time because there are those, there's plenty of scenarios of those rogue employees that, um, particularly if they are disgruntled for, for being terminated and they just hold hostage, um, you know, 
the access to the accounts for the business, or I guess even worse, I think we've seen this too, is just sending some sort of uh, message to everyone, if you have access to their emails or whatever, through whatever means, and that, that creates a huge problem. I mean, it probably right. ruins the employee's case for any sort of uh, wrongful termination claim, but it's, it's going to be more damaging for the company in the sense of, uh, again, their brand and their goodwill are going to be tarnished. Another big IP issue is copyright infringement. And uh, this reminds me of, do you guys remember when, like, <laughs> I, 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 this is just, uh, this is what I remember. In school, they would make copies of like laminations to send, you know, to present to the class. Teachers would. And I remember, I don't, I don't know why I remember this, but I remember the teacher being hesitant of doing so because of copyright and so forth and whether that's fair use and, and all that. And I remember like, Copyright law, even at that time, like it just seems like a, such a strange, weird thing. Because who's going to enforce that, right? If a teacher in Vandalia, Ohio, which is where I went to school, copies something out of a textbook that they didn't pay for, and then distributes it to the class because they're trying to teach them, right? And and technically, that may be copyright infringement. What what is the publisher going to do in that sense, right? And it's possible, I'm sure that there's been cases where that's happened. But similarly. Social media is such where it's so easy to post an image that you find on the internet that is owned by somebody else on your own profile and claim it as your own, or you know, claim it as your own, or just you can even say it's it's someone else's, but that still may be copyright infringement technically. Yeah, in your example, I think the the teacher's probably relatively safe. Uh, there's a good ch right. good chance the the artist doesn't even find out about it, but. I don't know. I mean, yeah. how many times have we dealt with this issue though with with companies? They, particularly if it's an employee that's doing it that just doesn't even know what the rules are or what the law is, and just and say, hey, we need to post this photo, you know, for a client or what have you, or on our site, and they just pull a photo from somewhere online and then they post it up, and then you you, know, you're, you get a request for for copyright infringement. It's it's. I think it happens. I mean, it's actually to the point now. It has been for years, but that's almost even a, seems to be a strategy for some of these photographers and artists, just putting their oh, photos yeah. out there and then sending, having a you know cease and desist letter sent right. You know, once they find this photos that surface online. Right. If you if you own a blog and have hired an agency or even done it yourself and posted an image that wasn't your own. It's you're almost guaranteed to have received some kind of notice or request to not only take it down but give us five thousand, ten thousand, or fifty thousand uh, dollars for copyright infringement, right? Um, and and it it falls it, people fall victim to it. Even the best of people, like Kim Kardashian, not that she is the best of the best of people, but, um, <laughs> the best of people. Yeah, I, I feel like I I just fell into that really horribly, but. Um, she she actually posted a paparazzi photo of herself, right? Um, and I remember we even we even covered this a uh, uh, long time ago, one of our early episodes. And everyone's probably seen it. It's a photo of a um, of a monkey that took a picture of themselves, right? Yeah. And the question was, from a copyright perspective, who owns the photo? Because technically, it's the person taking the photo that owns the copyright to that photo, not the subject, right? And in this case, that monkey was taking a photo of himself, so it became an interesting legal issue. But, well, I suppose interesting. So in this case, 
that paparazzi who, who uh, what's the what's the singular of paparazzi? Is it paparazzo? Paparazza? Paparazzi. <laughs> that's no, that's like fungi, fungus. Um, anyway, so so he, he that that photographer actually sued Kim Kardashian for copyright infringement just for posting it on her social media. And um, you know, I'm sure there might be some fair use arguments that are some exceptions to the rule, but generally, look, you know, you can't just copy and paste as much as uh, you think you can. Right, right. And so, what about the other side of that? What if it's your if it's your photo that gets taken? Because um, we've dealt with this a lot too. Just you know, com uh, companies have their especially if they sell any sort of uh, goods or products, they needed to put they need to put their photos. I think we've seen this a lot more. Um, with the emergence, or not emergence, but the the popularity of Amazon or any sort of e-commerce thing, is people are just ripping photos of you know credible photos that a business takes, and then using them for their own to sell products. And there's multiple issues of that. Right. But the response is what's called a DMCA notice. Um, basically, you can send that to the the. the what the site that's actually uh, has the photo on there. the server, yeah, the server, yeah. and um, you know, as long as you, as long as it's true and you follow the guidelines, they're required to take it down at that point. Um, but from the business perspective, they have the the route to go copyright infringement claim. So, um, you know, we, we've dealt with yeah. a lot of that too. And like I said, it's I think a lot of uh, just emergence of all these different e-commerce sites and you know, how easy it is to do that. I, I thought you were going a different direction at first. I thought you were talking about more like where it reminds me if you ever travel overseas, you'll see like images of celebrities with photoshopped um, products in their hands, you know, <laughs> in the in the glass windows. So I thought you know uh, that's uh, so that's also a common issue in social media is trademark infringement, which that would be or um, use of likeness and so forth. One thing that you can't do is. Um, cause any likelihood of confusion. And one thing that I think you've seen is that uh, when it comes to the actual account handles or the usernames, mm -hmm. that's a whole thing in and of itself, right? Um, and that's why sometimes you'll uh, both Twitter, I think everybody, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at the least, all have verified uh, accounts. And if, in fact, um, similar to domain squatting or, and so forth, is that if you, if you register a username, and you're trying to present yourself. Let's say I did, you know, McD's, right? And and I start posting all these things about McDonald's, and there's some confusion as to wait, is this McDonald's posting this, or is this someone that is just a McDonald's fan? And um, if there's any likelihood of confusion, I could get in trouble for McDonald's from for trademark infringement. Uh, and so, what do people do? It's like, okay, this is a fan's. You know, I'm a super McDonald's fan. You know, this is I'm not. I have no affiliation with McDonald's and so forth. And um, or I'm. You know, I, I, isn't Donald Trump the real Donald Trump at the real Donald? I Trump, think. Or? I think so. I think. Right. Or, I, I, Similarly, yeah, I like. Think. I, I. I. Or maybe there is another account which is a satire account of Donald Trump. But if you notice on their profile um, uh, bio, it specifically says this is a satire account, which. Twitter allows, right? Um, and and it's not trademark infringement or use of likeness because you're being kind of clear that hey, this is uh, I have no affiliation with the actual yeah, par yeah parody account basically, parody account yeah, yeah. I, I think from yeah from from businesses perspective, I, we've seen that quite a bit too. Is you know you have 
uh, a social media account, let's say like Instagram, for example, that pops up, that is possibly, you know, similar name or the same name and similar products as, as the company itself. And, you know, that's, that could fall, like you said, it's a likelihood of confusion analysis. And, um, you know, we've, we've dealt with that, uh, quite a bit too. So, okay. So one thing I do think there is some new law, uh, since the last time we covered this on social media, which is raising capital online, crowdfunding, and these kinds of things. The I would say the the amount of 506c raises has just exploded, uh, and of course, social media is a big part of uh, how people raise funds these days. Yeah, so I, I kind of I put it into two separate classes. Um, there's the there's the 506c raises, like you said, um, and then there's the general. I guess they're both crowdfunding, but you know what I'm talking about, like Kickstarter. Right. But yeah, the kick of the... Uh, it's the, it's varying right. levels, and there's... But like you said, if from... This probably is the biggest difference from four years ago when we recorded just the, the regulations behind it, because it, it was kind of the Wild West for a while. Um, or is it Wild Wild West? Wild West? I don't know which one it is. Uh, I would. It was wild, 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 wild west. Okay, because um, people are just out there. You know, when there were, weren't regulations in place and just raising money, and it's you know everything online is going to have come with more scrutiny, and people were losing money, getting taken advantage of. So they had this SEC had to step in and and make some regulations on this for good reason. Um, but yeah, it's actually pretty cool nowadays what's able to be done legally from raising money online from people you've never met. Right. And from a non-investment perspective, like these Kickstarter campaigns and GoFundMe, like it, it, what it, even though there's been a lot of progress there, what amazes me is there's still so much um, scamming going on and so many, um, uh, you know, I, I just, I, I was just thinking about there was a White House, wasn't there a White House official or employee or a, affiliate they were raising funds to raise money for the wall. And everyone's like, well, you collected all this money. Like, what, what is this for? And who's this going to? And ultimately, what ends up usually happening, and I don't know what happened in that case, is that somehow there ends up being this public pressure to get the money where it's supposed to be. But I'll tell you, that's probably the exception because it's like there's no transparency as to how this money is being spent and so forth. And it reminds me of Creed, who, who collects dollars for. Uh, uh, that person that got fired and then takes the cash and, and puts the, uh, card, puts in the, the card into the trash, right? It's like, from the, by the way, Creed from The Office uh, is the reference. And if, by the way, if, if, if you listen to our podcast and don't understand our Office references, then you're going to have to get used to that or start watching The Office or catch up. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so um, I, I forgot my, of course, I got sidetracked. I don't remember what we're talking about now. Oh yeah, so so these these campaigns, uh, of course, it's illegal, but the mechanism to actually go after these people that misappropriate these funds that were given to them in trust is still pretty difficult. And I mean, it's just like anyone, like if, whether Creed is coming to you and asking for a couple of dollars, or you're giving to a couple of dollars online, it's it's, not, it's pretty much the same kind of uh, analysis. Well, yeah, they're, they're, again, there's kind of two different levels within that. There's the ones that are just completely fraudulent. Um, which I think that the guy that did the that started the Fry Festival thing, he also had his own separate yeah. 
one of these at worst game. And those are ones that just don't work out. Because, you know, with Kickstarter. By the, the way, it was Fire Festival, not Fry Festival. What? Which, by the way, if it was a Fry Festival, that would be fun. Oh, I said Fry? Oh, you're right. Well, maybe, you said, maybe you said Fire. I don't know. It's because it's spelled like Fry, I think. You're right. All right. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, don't worry. We'll cut that out. We'll, or should we just restart the episode? Yeah, <laughs> start from the beginning. Um, but yeah, I was saying Let's the, the, the ones that um, the ones that just don't work out. Now, obviously, when you go up to the actual like the five hundred six C raises, that's a whole separate ball game and um, pretty strict requirements on who, what types of investors you can go after, um, what needs to be disclosed. That, that's a whole. You know, it's it's a full on raise with outside investment. So it's, um, you know, that that is a kind of the high, highest level in terms of trying to raise funds for whatever your business is uh, through social media or online. Right. And and five hundred six C raises like I, even though they restrict it to accredited investors, and so in theory these investors are, you know, sophisticated and so forth. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, I personally. Don't like the idea. And look, we have clients that do it, and, you know, and so forth. But it's this concept of investing in a private company based upon an advertisement of general solicitation for which you don't know much about. And it's like, how can an investor in that particular scenario really be protected? You know, um, in the sense like. At least with a with other Regulation D filings or raises, uh, the prohibition of general solicitation at least allows some kind of intimacy between the person that's raising the funds and the person that is giving the funds. Whereas when you're generally soliciting, it's like that's that may never happen, you know. And uh, there's some weird disconnect when it comes to investment for that. And look, but people are willing to do that, you know. People are willing to, you know. Invest in a lot of things without much care, um, and so it's it's not like uh, everyone's free to do that. And I think that's the main that's the main argument uh, for it. It's like, look, you know, uh, people can decide what they want to do with their money. And there, I don't think we've mentioned it. There are there is kind of the lesser degree of that. The it's a, the Reg A filings, um, right? And you 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 can you know that's going to be lesser amounts, and it does not the same requirement. Um, you know, in terms of the investor. Sophistication or monetary threshold, and you, you'll see those more with basically um, companies that have a have a you know, smaller, small to medium sized companies that have like a pretty good following, not a, not a cult following yeah. necessarily, but like a pretty solid following. And it's they want to have they want to give all of their customers the opportunity to get involved and in, you know seeing the company grow, investing their own own money in it for much smaller amounts than you'd see for a five hundred six C. Right. I mean, no. I think it is a cult following kind of deal, or, or early adopters. That kind of culture where, you know, people are really excited and passionate about your product or service yeah. and raising funds for that. So, I mean, those are the cool aspects of uh, kind of social media raises in, in that respect. Um, but of course, like the, they're still complicated. It's still not easy. Uh, there's still a lot of regulation around it, uh, and uh, can't just start raising posting online. And I'm, I'm, we've seen it, right? It's all of a sudden people are like, hey, I'm starting a new business, raising some capital. Um, no, you can't and shouldn't do it that way. <laughs> yeah, and I think the, another thing, too, is administratively, it's much more of a burden um, to go that route. But I mean, if that's, if that's the only right. way that's 
it's able to be, you know, you're able to, to raise funds and you just have to do what you can and, you know, raise through those means. Absolutely. Well, that's social media and the law. And I'll tell you, there's so many different topics that we didn't cover. Uh, it is actually relatively vast. I mean, there are, we, I, I, we did some research. There are some attorneys that specialize in this, but again, ultimately, whether it's social media or not, it's still real life. It's, it's the same kind of law as it applies to that, but it, you do develop some kind of interesting issues that wouldn't come up otherwise. Um, but, uh, I don't know. What do you think, Matt? I think that was an interesting topic. Yeah. And just to jump off of what you said, I, th I think the big thing is people, you know, it is similar to real life, but people behave differently behind the keyboard. So I think that's really one right. of the big differences is you'll see people take their guard down a little bit or be more willing to uh, post or say something that they, they would never think about saying in person or even through work email. I mean, it, it, so it is a different, it's different in that way. But like you said, at the same time, it's, it's similar to, to real life and um, you know, the same kind of guidelines have to be followed. Well, I think that's our episode. Um, we are recording this on video. So of course you can also check out our, um, I have our logo in the background, which is cool. I added that feature to our podcast, which if you're listening to this, you can't see unless you go to YouTube, youtube.com, <laughs> where we cover um, some of, we basically take segments of our episodes a little bit kind of, if you don't want to listen to the entire episode, you can kind of take us in, in small snapshots uh, based upon topics. So I think um, some of you will enjoy that. And of course, we're very active on social media, uh, Instagram, Facebook, which are two mediums for which we also covered today. So that's a nice uh, tie-in. Yeah, I think it's everything kind of aligned here. I think that it makes sense. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody. Yep. Keep it sound, keep it smart. You just listened to Legally Sound Smart Business with Asar Pasha and Matt Staub. For more information about the podcast, visit LegallySoundSmartBusiness.com. This podcast is intended but not promised or guaranteed to be current, complete, or up-to-date and should in no way be taken as an indication of future results. No attorney-client relationship is created by listening to or engaging with the podcast. The podcast does not constitute legal advice, but rather is produced for entertainment and educational purposes only. Do not rely on the information on this podcast without first seeking the advice of an attorney. The opinions expressed in the podcast reflect the views of those individuals and does not necessarily represent the views of any other individual or business. This podcast may contain portrayals of clients by non-clients, reenactment of scenes, and persons which are not actual or authentic, and depictions which are a dramatization.